Well, back when I was a kid, there was a popular television show, a legal drama called Perry Mason. I've got a picture of Perry. Do you remember Perry? That's Raymond Burr. He did a great job. He's really the father of that whole genre of uh, legal dramas that fill the airwaves even today. Uh, Perry Mason, you can leave that up for a couple minutes here as I get started. The fictional L.A. defense attorney who took on some pretty tough cases. Um, I really like this show. I like the drama and the suspense and how it always resolved. Perry Mason always proved who was really guilty and who was innocent. You know, the truth would always come out, and that's what I need in a drama to make it worth watching for me. Uh, and in a dramatic way, that truth would always come out. My favorite way was the surprise witness called at the end, wasn't it? Oh, I waited for that, because just when you thought, oh, the, the bad guy is going to get nailed for something he didn't do, and the good guy... No, wrong. <laughs> I thought I got all warmed up for a service, but unfortunately, what I did learn from for a service is not try to sing the theme song of the show to you. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Unbelievable. You would think I've learned to just tell you every little thought that goes through my head. Um, so just when you think the bad guy was going to get away with it, and the good guy was going to be sentenced or condemned. Right at the end, Raymond Burr would say in that deep, rich, baritone voice, Judge, <laughs> how hard could this be? I called to the stand. And then he'd say the name. And the surprise star witness would come in through those double doors that swing open wide and the hush would fall over the courtroom and everybody would be ooing and aahing in this, this kind of hushed, quiet chatter. And then everybody knew, oh, it's over. Because this witness was credible, beyond any doubt, totally believable because this witness either saw the whole thing happen or was in the middle of it, could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt what actually happened. And once this witness testified, man, it was over, really. No need for further questions. Uh, the truth was revealed. The lies were exposed. The case closed. Roll the credits kind of thing. Thank you for Raymond's appearance there. Well, of course, where am I headed with this? Well, in 1 John chapter 5, the word testify is used 13 times. John's really got the courtroom analogy going. As he wants to bring in, right here at the end, some surprise witnesses that you don't normally think about as giving testimony to who Jesus Christ is and what the gospel means. And so he is going to defend Jesus Christ as the God-man and the truths of the gospel, uh, which he's been defending for four chapters, which have been under attack. Uh, now, John's already given you an eyewitness account from himself and also has named the disciples as well. That's how 1 John opens, if you recall. 
And now as he's closing out the epistle, it's time for a surprise witness or two uh, again. So John and the disciples aren't the only witnesses who testify of the truth of Jesus and the gospel. Now there are 21 verses before you. Uh, it's a summary of what he's been saying and repeating all along. Uh, the true Christian experience, if you're really saved, you have faith in the real, true, historical Jesus, love for God, love for his people and the church, obedience to God's commands, things we've been talking about week after week after week. Now, I'd like to finish up first, John, as I said, here in uh, chapter 5, these 21 verses, there's a lot of repeating again. But there are two really new ideas, very encouraging. And so I want to kind of do something that I don't normally do. We normally just go verse by verse and I make some comments. Well, it doesn't make sense for me to repeat the same things that we have been talking about. So what I'm going to do is we're going to jump around a little bit and I'm going to pull out the two fresh insights that John is summarizing the entire epistle with. So if you don't mind jumping around, it's not something we do a lot here, but we are in the chapter and we're closing out the entire epistle this way. Uh, there are really two points, all right? So just to get some structure, John closes his letter by reminding his readers of one, the greatest testimonies of all, and two, the greatest assurances of all. So those are the two ideas, and I'm going to have to pull from a couple areas there. Let's start with those surprise star witnesses and hear what they have to say about this Jesus and his gospel. Verse 6 to 12. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood and it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son is life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So there you go, first uh, point, Roman numeral number one, the greatest testimonies of all. So John is saying here, when it comes to discerning the truthfulness of who Jesus is as the God-man and the gospel message that he brings, that don't just take my word for it, he says, there are other voices to be considered. So yes, we've already heard his eyewitness testimony, have we not? You remember how First John opened there in chapter 1. He, set, he started the whole letter by saying, hey, eternal life appeared. God appeared in human form. 
We heard him with our own ears. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. We're testifying to you of this wonderful fact so that you too can know the truth and enjoy this wonderful life, which is in Jesus, who we're testifying to you about. So what did he say? He's saying, hey, we heard astonishing, jaw-dropping authority and truths that came out of the mouth of God in a body. We heard it, these ears, and we're testifying to you. And he said in the beginning of 1 John, we saw, we saw dead people. I was in the room, John is saying. There were three of us. There's this dead 12-year-old girl. Everybody's crying and they're laughing at Jesus because Jesus said, hey, why the funeral? Stop crying. Uh, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Let me go in and wake her up. And they laughed him to scorn. And John opened First John by saying, we, we saw this. The 12-year-old girl, she's laid out, pale, dead. We were in the room. And Jesus said, Talitha kumi. That is, little girl, I say to you, arise. We saw it. We're testifying. We're telling you. We're not making this stuff up. And so that's how he opened up. He said, we touched him. Ask Thomas. Thomas touched the body of God and felt the imprints of the scars. He was real. We testify. But he says now, closing out, the other bookend of this is, you know what? It doesn't really matter what we tell you. If there's no spirit of truth, of spirit of God, testifying behind these words and the words we write and the stories we're telling you, if there's no zing and zap of truth that testifies to your heart by God himself, then he says, what does it matter what we say? The stories we're telling you. But why, when I was telling you the story of Jesus in a room with three guys and a dead 12-year-old, why suddenly was your heart riveted? It's not because of me or the story. It's not because of what John wrote about it. It's because there's a spirit of living God who, through that event, is speaking to the human heart. This is the gospel not about philosophy passed along from some guy, some fat little guy who go like this, you know, that you rub his head. And I'm, I was referring to Buddha there, you know. In case you're like, who's fat? What you talking about? Because <laughs> I looked over there, sorry. It's not about that. It's about when you hear the gospel, something powerful and supernatural is behind it unlocking your heart and your mind and opening your eyes and changing your life. He's saying, could we talk about that witness? That's the witness of the truth, the spirit of the living God. So let me paraphrase the thought before I get too far ahead of myself. Verse 9 paraphrased. The eyewitness account of men and women is a good thing. We accept their testimony, but it doesn't stop there. There's a greater, weightier, more credible witness to all of this, God himself. It's after all what God has to say about himself that matters most. What does God think about this Jesus? 
John is saying in Christian evangelism and Christian life and Christian service, something deeper, more profound and supernatural is going on. And he wants to remind these Christians who are surrounded by false teachers and false philosophies, he wants to remind them, hey, you've got the truth. You've got the truth and you know you have the truth because the Holy Spirit is in you. Let me remind you about his witness. What does he say? And so he starts with this very mysterious saying, and some of you have wondered for years, what is he talking about? Jesus came by water, and not just water, but by blood, and then the Spirit, and the three of them are all in agreement. Well, with God's help, we're going to understand that this morning. Verse 6 started out saying, let's talk about this Jesus. What does the Spirit say about him? Well, first of all, he came by water. So what does he mean by that? Well, first of all, it's good that you know the context uh, that the false teachers have been denying, this is so important to get the whole concept, denying that he is the God-man, that God exclusively, 100%, showed up in one human body, was born, and then you could find an address for the living God in Jesus and nowhere else. They deny that. They would say, yes, he was enlightened. He had the enlightenment of God, but that anointing came upon him at baptism and left him before the cross. And he is an enlightened uh, teacher just like anybody else can, whom the divine spirit falls upon and enlightens. And so the Christ consciousness descends and ascends on people throughout the ages, and these spiritual enlightened guides with their divine light uh, showed us the many paths to the same God. And so the mantra that you hear today, which is 2,000, 3,000 years old, many incarnations... Only one divine entity. Now, by taking away Jesus' identity as showing up, this is Jesus, there's nobody else, there's no other God. By taking that away from him, they're just saying he's like one of them, right? What, by taking that away, then all his exclusive claims are no longer exclusive to him, and you can have salvation anywhere else with all the other divines. Through Buddha, for Krishna, for Muhammad, they're all just uh, uh, spiritual teachers. And that's what started there 2,000 years ago and is right here in Santa Rosa today. Well, many incarnations, but one divine force. Not so says God says John. He's saying, that's not what God says. That's not even what we're saying. It doesn't matter what we're saying is what John is saying. What is the Spirit saying? He's saying there is one. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when Jesus is water baptized, the Son of God, God the Son, standing in the water, heaven is opened. The Holy Spirit appears in, in a physical way like a dove. And you hear a voice from heaven, this is my son. Meaning, there are no other sons. Only begotten manifestation of God in a human body. He was born a human being, God. 
the angels say, oh, men of Galilee, why are you gazing up like Jesus is going away and he's never coming back? This same Jesus, not somebody else who is uh, incarnated with some kind of divine enlightenment. This same Jesus, one and only. There is one name, one person, Jesus Christ, the Christ. The Christ means chosen way. That's his title. The Lord of salvation, Jesus, his name, is Christ, the one. That's what Christ means. It's not his last name. It's a title. It's saying he's the one. He's, the, he's God's chosen door to eternal life. And therefore, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. Now, back to the text. He says, Jesus came by water. Well, there's some ways to understand that. This is how I take it, along with uh, a team of commentators who believe this. Jesus came by water. He was born a man, just like the rest of us. Uh, no human father, but a very human mother. Here's a quote. God reduced himself to one cell and embedded himself into a human womb. He developed into a human embryo and fetus surrounded by a sack of waters, just like all of us. Mary's water broke, just like all expected mothers' waters break, and a human baby came forth from those waters. Jesus came to us by water, a human being, a crying baby, breathing air, Nestled in his mother's arms, fullness of God in helpless babe. John is establishing God was born a man, a human being. We know who he is. That's who he is right there. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He's the exact representation of God and the radiance of God's glory in human form. He's no phantom. He's no spirit. He is a physical address, as I said. And this birth through water, through human experience, was it attested to? Yeah. There was a star over the place that he lived. Who can control a star but God? What was God saying by the star? This is it. This is him. There is no other a star, wise men from the east, we have come with gifts for a king to a baby. That's miraculous. The, the heavens open up and the angels are singing and rejoicing glory to God in the highest. Why? He's the one and only. So the spirit testifies. This is no ordinary birth. This is the God man coming through the waters of life. Just like one of us. Unbelievable. And he says, and it wasn't just by waters. Because maybe he was born, but maybe he wasn't fully, you know, whatever, fully God or fully man. That's what they were saying. He came by blood as well. Here's what I hear that saying. Jesus was born like a man. Jesus died like a man. As I mentioned uh, before, uh, if the payment that you owed is death, and God wants to pay it for you because another sinful man can't do it. 
One guy who's a debtor can't bail out another guy because he needs to be bailed out himself. So we can't pay it through another man, but God could pay it because he doesn't owe anybody. But he can't die your death because he's spirit. So he says, I can fix that. So he incarnates himself into human flesh so that he can have a heart that can stop on your behalf. That's your heart stopping. He didn't deserve to have a heartbeat go silent, the air gasping out of his lungs, his back torn, but he said, hey, I'm willing to take on a body so that you could be rescued. And so he did. The word who was God became flesh. So uh, the idea, he came by water. He was born as a human being with a miraculous testimony. And he died on the cross with a miraculous testimony. He's crying out, did it, accomplished, paid in full. And the sun goes dark. Somebody's speaking. Somebody's speaking. Hey, it's 12 noon. The sun is at its highest point. And it's black, pitch black. The earth shakes, a huge earthquake. The, the temple curtain is torn in two. The Roman centurion, wow. Surely, I, I get it. Somebody's trying to communicate here, and I receive it. Surely, this man... This man only is the Son of God. He came by water. He's born a man. He came by blood. He died as a man in my place and your place. And apart from that, you don't have a gospel. So he says, this is Jesus who was born at Christmas, died at Good Friday, and was raised on Easter. That's the crux of it. In the next breath, he says, and it's the Spirit that's telling us this story of water and blood. Verse 6 goes on to say, who brings these truths home to our hearts? Not John, not Paul, not any teacher, not the church, not a seminary, not the stories themselves or the words on a page, but God's Spirit. God's Spirit opens our hearts convinces our minds, softens our will, and assures our souls. Man cannot receive this witness himself. And the only reason we give our lives to the Lord is because we've heard that voice. I remember uh, being 19 years old, getting ready to come to the Lord. I didn't know it myself, but I was being prepared. I was working in a bank downtown San Francisco, and there was a street preacher on the corner, never raised in the church, not wanted anything to do with God or Christians or the Bible, and the door would swing open, and I would hear the echoes of the street preacher, and I would get goosebumps, and I would be drawn, and I'd be fighting with myself. What is it about him? 
He's some lunatic on a corner with a Bible and he used to bounce a tennis ball. And I used to <laughs> bounce a tennis ball with an open Bible and he'd be preaching like a crazy person. And I'd be walking by and my feet would keep walking. My head was stuck and turned and my feet are kept going. And I'm like this. It's like, what is that? It's the spirit of God. It's not some crazy guy on the corner. There was something behind those words. I remember the same period of time on a bus on Market Street and there was a church with a marquee and it said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And the bus was going and my head was straight and my eyes were like, <laughs> and I just felt glued and riveted to those words. What was the power behind those words on a marquee, a church I would never even think of going in? What was that? John says, it's who's living in you right now. He didn't leave you. That's how you know this is true. That's how you know you're not going to be led astray by these wackos out there because that spirit of truth is in you. He's guiding you. That's the reason you're a Christian. He says, there are three voices that are still talking. They speak, they're testifying today. The spirit the water and the blood. Kind of a different spin on this now. Let me paraphrase. God's spirit is still speaking. He's the source of truth, and he's revealed this all to our hearts. And there actually are three voices still speaking today. The Holy Spirit speaks, the waters of Christian baptism speaking, and the cup passed at communion. The blood is still speaking, and they're all three saying the same thing, telling the same story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's saying in this world today, the Holy Spirit 24-7, he's working. His mission statement in life, John chapter 16, verse 14. The counselor, the advocate, the spirit of the living God is on a search and rescue mission day in and day out, 24-7, with or without us. He, he involves us, but he's working right now while we're busy. He's wooing and drawing and softening. And the Bible says it's him who convinces somebody that they need the Lord and that they believe the word. In fact, Jesus said, nobody could even come to me unless the Father and the Holy Spirit is drawing them. The Spirit is testifying, and, and when he starts talking, man, people, they come undone. One day I was sharing the gospel with someone else, just really just talking to him in a grocery market, and he said something, and I said, you know, that reminds me of a scripture, if God is for us, who could be against us? And he got a funny look on his face, and he said, what? What was that? And I said, what was what? And he said, say that again. I said, if God is for us, who could be against us? He goes, wow. He goes, that's something you could, you could say every day. You could say that every day. That would, that would, I'd start the day and say, hey, if God is for me, who could be against me? And he goes, wow, I'm going to go home and tell my girlfriend that. I'm just going to walk in and say, honey, if God is for us, who could be against us? He's coming undone in front of me. So I say to him, you know, I could get you a book with a whole bunch of those statements. 
And I did. I got him a book with a lot of those things. What, what was it behind the English words, one sentence that took this guy apart? What is that? Explain that. That's the spirit of the living God. It unlocked him. That's why we're here. That's why I'm doing this. The spirit of the truth. Truth himself. I'll tell you one more story while I'm thinking about it. All right, I will. <laughs> I'm test driving a car in San Jose 150 years ago. And we drive. I'm talking to this guy about something. And I want to share the gospel with him. So we drove past a church. And I said, oh, what's that building? Oh, that's a church. And then he said something. And I said, oh, do you go to church? And it all started this way. I start, sorry, I'm devious. <laughs> oh, look, a church. Well, there's only eternity on the line. So he says, after I start talking, oh, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. All your sins going to be gone. He says, pull, pull over. I'm driving. He says, pull over. I want you to pray for me. Pray for me. I'm just really moved right now. What? Is he still moved by my silly words? There's a church. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit is taking a weak effort and unraveling this guy, getting into his heart, and he doesn't even know it. He says, pull over the car. He's trying to sell me a car. <laughs> I'm trying to sell him something a lot better. You won't need a warranty. So John says, the Spirit's talking. And people listen, they get saved. And he says, you know what else is talking? The water. Oh, God gave the church two ordinances that are in the world, all over the world, and they're happening today, and they're speaking, they're testifying. The water of baptism. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had the waters talking. Uh, we baptized, I don't know, 28 people or so, and they were telling a story 28 times. I met the Lord, and I, my old self died, and my sins were washed away and, and covered over my old life, and then something happened in my heart, and I got raised up to this new life, and I, I live with Jesus now, Jesus is Lord. 28 times, the water dripping wet. We got in a little problem there because of all that water on the carpet, but we did a better job this time. But the water is not only dripping on the carpet, it's telling the story, John says. Come to God, have life. The old passes away, the new comes. The blood, he says, do this often. And somewhere in the world, even today, the cup is being passed and the blood is speaking. Be reconciled to God. He loves you. He bled for you. Jesus said, you got to drink this stuff. you got to eat what I did on the cross. My broken body, my, my, my blood, think of it as a meal. Like a meal keeps you uh, living. This meal, if you get it inside of you, spiritually speaking, will give you eternal life. So John says, these three things, the Holy Spirit, 
uh, the ordinances of the church, Christian baptism, our testimony, our evangelistic efforts, the communion table, they're all telling the story. They're all in agreement. These three are one. They're saying the same thing today is the day of salvation. Do not go to hell when you do not have to. I will be so upset if there's one person who came to a Sunday and heard this kind of impassioned plea and left and didn't do anything about it and resisted the voice, not of Ross, but of the spirit behind this crazy guy up here with no hair waving his hands and trying to tell jokes that weren't funny. And, and oh, that would be a crime. When you hear his voice talking to your heart, pick up that phone. What am I saying? He's calling you. <laughs> Do not send the call away. <laughs> Open that line up. All right. Do you get that? The cool thing is he says there, anyone who believes Jesus is the son of God, he has this testimony in their heart. I knew when I walked out of the bar and gave my heart to the Lord, I knew. I just knew I got the whole thing. I couldn't explain it very well. I didn't know any verses in the Bible. I didn't know a real Christian. I walked out of the bar. I had that experience with the Lord prompting me, scaring me out of hell and into heaven. And I'm standing there, but I knew I got it. I have the testimony in my heart. There's nothing, anybody, a pile of demons, I, the devil himself, it didn't matter. Nobody could unconvince me because of what happened to me. I can't deny what happened to me. And that's what he's saying. As soon as you believe and trust and surrender your will, then you know. Now try explaining that, that mysterious Romans chapter 8, verse 16 line, that by his spirit, his Holy Spirit testifies, there's the word again, means convincing with exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C. His Spirit does that to your own heart to convince you that you are a child of God. And we know why. He's told us where? Inside. I know that I know that I know, and so do you. And that's why John says in 18 times, we know, we know, we know. That's a testimony. It's like, well, why can't I know? And then I'll give my life to the Lord. Well, because he's the Lord, and you're not, and he makes up the rules. So he said, here's what you do. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. John 7, 17. What is Jesus saying? Do what the Spirit is asking you to do. Surrender your life. You know there's a God. You didn't birth yourself. You don't sustain yourself. You don't even know what you're going to have for lunch. And if this guy keeps going, you may not have lunch. <laughs> when you say, yes, Lord, no to you and yes to God, he says, then you'll know. And it doesn't come any other way. Well, I'm running out of time, so let me just sum up 
point two, we're going to skip around for this. Uh, the greatest assurances of all because of that God's spirit of truth is in us. We have these three great assurances. I'm going to only pick three real quick, then we're done. Number one, we overcome the world. Assurance number two, God hears and answers our prayers. And assurance number three, we're going to live forever. Now, real fast, first one, believers overcome the world, verses four and five. Popping around here, thank you. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let me give you a paraphrase of that. God's given us the power to keep his commands, and incidentally, that power conquers the world. Now, here's what he's saying. Now, listen to me. Think about this, John writing. Who is the mightiest conqueror on the planet? The person who's indestructible and destined to overcome all opposition. That would be you. That would be you because of one word, your faith. Now, in the Greek, you can never have faith alone. Grammatically speaking, it always, uh, always implies an object. So in, it's never because of faith. You know, somebody told me just the other day, I said, the church is really growing. We started with a handful, and now I don't know, hundreds of people. And he said, Lots of people are looking for faith these days. And I said, in the Lord. You cannot have biblical faith without its object. Even grammatically in the Greek, it demands the object. Even if the object's not there, it's implied. Faith in God. He says, because of that, that has knitted you together with him. So John is just saying, okay, let's do the math here. Okay, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. Jesus is God the Son. He's overcome the world. Your faith opened the door which knit your life, your spirit, with God's. Therefore, since nothing can prevail against God, nothing can prevail against you. Therefore, Overcoming the world means anything that would come against God's work and design and plan and kingdom purposes in you is destined to fail. I had a friend who said one day to me many years ago, he said, you know, somebody gave him a word from the Lord about, um, a word from the Lord about Tom's life, his name is Tom, uh, being like an arrow. And that the word for him was, that arrow, your life, is going to hit the bullseye. And I remember hearing that and being envious of that word and just thinking, wow, what a, what a neat promise to hear from the Spirit to say, hey, your life's going to, you're going to hit the bullseye for which God intended you to live. And then I realized, and it, these verses helped me. That's the legacy of every believer. That's what he's saying. He's saying when you have Christ in your life, there's nothing that's going to stop you except your own silliness. Your own silliness can deter it a little bit. 
But he's saying, hey, that faith that knits you together with God is going to send you to the bullseye. He's saying false teachers can't deceive you and the devil, he won't prevail against you. Demons can't move you. The world can't seduce you. Fear can't dominate you and your sin can't control you. Death can't defeat you and the grave can't hold you because you're overcoming because Jesus who overcomes keeps you and shields you by that faith. Uh, secondly, we know that God hears our prayers. Jump around with me to 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, this is a great assurance. He's saying that God hears you favorably. He always hears you. I heard somebody tell me, uh, God doesn't seem to ever answer my prayers. And I say, God has answered every single one of your prayers. Not exactly how you expected, but he always answers. His answers are yes. His answers are no. Are you crazy? <laughs> he doesn't add that part. I do. Or wait. But just because he says wait or no doesn't mean he didn't answer you. He's always talking. Here's what John's saying. You want to pray with confidence? He says, find out what God's will is. The scriptures tell you. You know what God likes. You know where he's going. You know what's important to him. Find that and pray in his agenda. I mean, he's already told you you could pray for your daily bread. Pray. He already said, hey, lead me not in temptation. That's a prayer 100%. It will always come to pass. Make me more like Christ. Deepen my faith. Make me more of a man of God. Make me more of a woman of God. Impact somebody for the gospel today through my life. Help me to love your word more. Help me to pray with more passion. Help me to stop sinning and to be more holy. He's saying you can pray with confidence. Pray up a storm and God will just lavish out answers because you're praying according to God's will. Even Jesus taught us this. We pour out our hearts. We say, hey, Lord, this is what I would want. And then Jesus said, oh, but Father, what you will, nevertheless, not, not my will. So talk to God about everything. Pour out your heart. But he's saying there's this huge confidence you can have when you pray in line with God's will for your life. And it's not that hard to find. I tell the story about being at Pismo Beach. I was doing a wedding down there. We spent the day at the beach. We're out at the pier. There are two young guys on surfboards with nothing happening right in front of us. And I'm just watching them. My eye goes to the horizon around the bend, and I see these just huge waves around the, you know, probably a few miles. And they're having a lot of fun. You, you can see them surfing. Waves are big. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> you know, they're splashing around. They're looking around. Oh, it's dead. Oh, man. They're just trying to make something happen. Looking, looking, looking. Nothing's happening. I'm like, Move your boards over to where the action's happening. Then you're going to have a lot more fun. You're going to have a lot more action instead of telling the ocean, hey, ocean, I know you want to be over there right now, breaking, but we'd like you to come over here and start a little wave action. 
the ocean, you know, thinks you're silly. The ocean's going to do what the ocean's going to do. Christians, God never answers my prayers. You're the two guys on the board just saying, hey, come on. Move your, move a little bit here. Let's make a wave happen, please. You got a book. You got a church. You got Christian friends. You know where he's breaking. Move the board over a little bit. And then he says, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm telling you, whatever you're going to pray in that vein, it's going to happen. You're going to have confidence. But whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm not talking about... If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Just like he's saying, confidence, pray together. Two Christians, you're going to need this kind of prayer power and confidence because you're going to sin. And when someone sins, they, can, they confess their sins, they repent, another brother prays, and he says 100%, 24-7, guaranteed, God grants life. Every single time, without exception. And then that's when he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, don't get the wrong idea here. And then the next verse. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that leads to death. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying the prayer... The prayer of faith offered by a believer for another believer who is confessing and turning from sin has guaranteed results. Anytime, every time, like I've been saying, we can pray in this situation with confidence. We know that the repented brother, through our prayers, is fully restored to God. He says, but you cannot have that kind of confidence, believer, when you are praying for an unbeliever. There's no faith there. They're sinning. The testimony of the Holy Spirit is on them. They're rejecting it. So you cannot have the same confidence that God will grant life like I just told you if you're praying for a believer. A believer praying for a believer who's sinning and turns from the sin is very different from a believer praying for an unbeliever who's on the path to death. Now, he's not saying, oh, don't pray for him. He's saying, oh, you can't expect to pray with the same confidence that God is just going to, because you as a believer pray for an, a lost soul, that there it is, God will grant life. Oh, no, 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 that do, it doesn't work that way because there are more factors, aren't there? That person has a will. God has a sovereign knowledge about the situation. He's going to do what he's going to do. So that's all that's saying. Where in the Bible would it ever suggest that we don't pray for a person? What he's really saying is you do not pray with the same confidence. I, I like what it, somebody said. You pray with one kind of confidence for the restoration of a Christian. You pray with a different kind of confidence for the salvation of a sinner. So I don't have any more time except the last assurance is the big mind blower, eternal life. Uh, verse 11 says, here's the testimony in a nutshell. You're going to live forever. You never die. You're always going to be you, changed, new body, new life. Somebody said to me once, you know, all this eternal life stuff, I don't even have any interest in living forever. It sounds terrible to me. And I said, 
Yeah, it does. If we were going to live forever like this, that would be more like the other place. <laughs> but no, let me tell you, friend, oh, we get a new body. Even the earth gets a makeover. Even the, the sun, moon, and stars will be different. You won't recognize the place. It'll be paradise. Oh, oh, no sin is there. No crying. No mourning. The former things are gone. Our bodies are changed. I won't even want to sin anymore. That's the eternal life. Adventures. A world. Countries. Rulers. And reigning. And Christ is administrating forever and ever and ever. You don't want any part of that? That's something worth living for. Let me close with this illustration. It's not original to me, but I thought you might like it. Eternal life is a long time. Hard to imagine, isn't it? So I've got an illustration for you. All right. The timeline of your life. All right. Let's call it, let's call it this rope. Okay, so you gotta imagine, okay? Well, <laughs> some of you are not gonna live very long, apparently. <laughs> right, grab one end of it. Take it out the door. This is your life in eternity, okay? Now you gotta imagine. There it goes, you've got to imagine, there it goes, out the parking lot, wraps around the earth a couple times, then goes up to the moon, four times around the moon, then out to Pluto, then comes around, Pluto about five or ten times, then comes back here. But that's only the beginning, the first million years. All right? That's your life, right? This is your life here and now compared to all of this. There we go. A little bit of a sound uh, effect there. This is it. This is your life. And the rest is wrapping around Pluto several thousand times. Here's what you're going to watch out for. And this is the point of the gospel. Some people just live for this. Jesus says, how you live this affects all of this. Oh, nice. <laughs> Some of you, even this illustration and the gospel and the Holy Spirit, isn't going to convince you not to live for this. This is so powerful. It's an obsession. Oh, I can't wait to get to here. I'm saving up my money and it's going to be so much fun. And everything is about here, 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 this little spot here. Are you kidding me? John says... Serious, look over here. Eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. All right. If the new visitors come back next Sunday, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> All right. Please know this. Your decisions today, how you live, how you steward your life, will determine this part. 